Welcome to the LFC Podcast, where our mission is to make, deploy, and multiply mature and equipped Christ followers. We're grateful for this opportunity to bring you a message of hope, healing, and life transformation today. Enjoy the message. Did you know that more than 100 million pieces of junk mail are delivered in the U.S. every single year. How many feel like I get all of that 100 million, right? Well, it's average that about every person, you're going to get about 300 uh, pieces of junk mail every year, which amounts up to 41 pounds. And what do you do with that? How many keep that? You store it, you cherish it, right? Well, It has been estimated that more than 5.6 million tons of junk mail advertisements and flyers end up in landfills every single year because of people like you, right? But when it comes to mail or even email, we throw away things that we don't like or things that do not pertain to us, right? Like, I'm throwing away the ARP card stuff. I am in denial, and it's just not going to happen, right? We throw that, and we put anything into file 13, that's the trash can, right? File 13, if we don't agree with it or we're not interested in it. And in some cases, we accidentally throw away some mail or email. Oh, I didn't get my house payment. I didn't know, right? We throw away some things that are important. We disregard it, sometimes accidentally, sometimes not so accidentally. But in the book of Revelation, and how many knows that we need to be paying attention to the book of Revelation now? Friends, can I tell you, signs and wonders are happening right before our very eyes. Do you notice that all of a sudden there was this uh, war between Russia and Ukraine and all that stuff, and now you hear nothing about it, but it's still going on? Do you know that there are earthquakes, massive earthquakes that are happening all over and sometimes tens of thousands of people are killed, but guess what? You don't hear anything about it. Did you realize, and they're not, they're not posting anything about this either, but do you realize that the Euphrates River is drying up? It has been prophesied that the Euphrates River is drying up and the enemy of God's armies, the enemy will be marching down that riverbed which brings us to the great tribulation, or not to the great tribulation, but the battle of Armageddon. Things are happening right before our very eyes and we need to pay attention to what God's word is saying because we are in the last days. Can I get an amen? Well, the book of Revelation was written by a dude named John, the apostle John, and he wrote this book because of a a vision, a revelation that he had received after he was tortured, after he was boiled in oil, right? He, He survived, supernaturally survived, and they exiled him to a place called the island of Patmos, hoping that they could shut his mouth right, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Revelation chapter one, we, we see this. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. 
And he sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything that he saw, even though he didn't understand it. How many knows God reveals things that we just cannot comprehend? And this is his report. This is Revelation chapter 1. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says for the time is near. So the book of Revelation, it's an apocalyptic book of the Bible which speaks of the end times which we're now living in today. And basically, the book of Revelation simply screams this. Pay attention! Wake up, church! Wake up for the time draws near. That's what the book of Revelation is screaming. Well, in Revelation chapter 2, we see some mail. We see some sort of an email that is written. Seven letters given to seven different churches. And these seven different churches in Revelation are literal churches from the first century AD. The primary purpose of the Apostle John writing his letters to the seven churches, which really it wasn't him writing, it was God the Father writing through him. Come on, we, 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 we understand that. It's the inspired word of God written by men, but true, no errors. The primary purpose to the seven churches was to deliver kind of like Jesus' report card to the churches. It was his report card. How, how many of you are old enough to remember that they used to mail your report card to your house address? And how many remember sweating when you got off the bus and it had nothing to do that there was no air conditioning in that bad boy? Right, and you're riding the hoopty all the way home, and you're right, people are throwing up, and you get home and you run. You run faster than the herald that's carrying the word of God to that mailbox because you want to see what's in there. If it was good, you're good. But if it's not so good, oh, accidentally gone and it's, it's, it's forever. How many ever remember doing that? How many ever remember lying in church? Okay, right? Well, you'd run home. You see, it was the, the purpose of these letters uh, to the different churches of Christ's report card. But the secondary purpose of the, these letters was to describe, not only describe seven types of churches, but individual believers. It describes who we are that, that we would surface time and time again throughout history. But it's also a quick reminder to those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. So grab your copy of God's word. And did you know it's okay to bring a hard copy of God's word to church? How many, how many brought the old school with you here today? Wave them at me. Can I tell you, it's okay to do that. It's all right. If the power goes out, I'm going to be in trouble, right? But I got three of them on my desk right now, opened up to this chapter right now. But I, I'm telling you, it's okay to bring your copy of God's word to church. And here's what it says. This first letter that was written is to the church of Ephesus. 
And it says this, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So Revelation chapter two, verse one is basically saying this. This is not John that is actually penning this and this is his own thoughts. This is coming from God Almighty who holds the seven stars in his hands. How many times have you held a star in your hands? And I'm not talking about the fireworks that you let off this week, right? And you almost burn your hand off. We're talking about God Almighty, the creator of man's very first breath. He was the one. He's making it known right now. I am the one that's writing this. All right, so can we establish this? This is not inspired by man. This is inspired from God, written by man. And what is it that he has to say to us? What is it that he has to say to the church of Ephesus? Look at verse 2a. What is it? He knows. He says, I know. I know. God knows everything, everything about us. He knows how we think. He knows how we respond and how we think to situations that come in our lives. He knows how we long sometimes for the things of the world. He knows nothing can be hidden from him because he starts out this entire letter and he says, I know. I know. <laughs> nothing escapes him. So why is it that we even try to pull the wool over God's eyes and try to cover up situations just like Adam and Eve did? Why is it that if he, we know that he knows, why do we keep going on and doing some of the same things that we've always done? Can I tell you one of the greatest tragedies in the life of a believer is that we think we can pull the wool over God's eyes just like we can everybody else. We can fake it till we make it. People ask how we are and we lie and we don't tell the truth. We, we, we don't allow anyone to pray for us because it's personal. We don't want anyone to feel, th think bad of us. We don't want anyone to know our business. Come on, someone talk to me. We want to, 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 to lay out this perfect picture that, oh, they're the perfect family. Can I tell you, you do not live in a perfect family. How many, how many can testify right now? How many are sitting next to less than perfect person right now? You better not answer that, men. You better not answer that. You see, God knows. He knows. He knows that we can't hide. You, friends, can I tell you, you can hide stuff from your parents and get away with it. You can hide things from your coworkers and get away with it. You can hide things from your spouses and get away with it. But you can never dupe God because he knows. Hebrews tells us, that nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything, everybody say everything. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes and he is the one to whom we are accountable. The psalmist even says it like this, I can never escape from your spirit, God. 
I can never do it. I can never get away, Lord, from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could even ask for the darkness to hide me and the light around me. Hey, Siri, turn off the lights, right? I could even ask of that to become night. But even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. We can't hide. Why? Because he knows. He knows. That's how he starts out this letter. But what does he know? What does he know? Look at verse 2b. He knows was A. Look at this. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know that you cannot bear those who are evil. I know uh, that you have tested those who say they are apostles and they're not. And you have found them out to be liars. I know. I know that you have persevered. I know that you have patience. I know that you have labored for my namesake. And I know that you have not become weary. He knows the good, friends. He knows the good. He knows that you volunteer. He knows that you tithe. He knows that you give, give into the Horizon Project. He knows that you, that you do all the right things. He knows that you go to church. He knows that you fast. He knows that you pray. He knows it all. He knows that you do your devotions with a cup of Java Jesus every morning. He knows. He knows everything. And even in the midst of that, what he's trying to say here is that I know and I see what you are doing is good, so don't stop it. Don't stop getting up and going to church on 10 o'clock unless you want to go to 8.30 or 11.30. I know, I know that you're, you're over here crammed in a room with all these little babies. I just looked in that window and I'm like, oh my goodness, they're multiplying like rabbits. I mean, it's It's crazy. I just saw it just a little bit ago. God's saying, don't stop. Don't stop volunteering outside. Don't stop volunteering and watching. Don't stop. Keep doing. I know that you have patience. I know that you persevere, but don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop it. Don't stop going to camp. Don't, don't let that fire. Keep putting wood on the fire. Don't stop it. Don't stop. Keep going. Galatians tells us this, but how many know sometimes we get tired of doing what's right? Uh-huh, no one wants to answer that either. Sometimes we get weary. Galatians says this, let's not get tired of doing what is good. For at just the right time, we're gonna reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. God's saying, don't give up, don't let up, don't stop, keep on doing these things. Philippians says it best, I press on, I keep pushing over and over and over, even though I don't feel like it, I keep pushing, I keep pressing I don't, get, I don't get tired of praying for people that, that are lost and, and it, it just seems like it's a dead end wall and there's no movement. Just keep, just keep swimming. You just keep swimming. Don't let up. He knows it. He knows the good. He knows it all. But guess what else he knows? He knows the bad. He knows the bad. This is what's crazy right here, friends. 
in this letter to the church of Ephesus, in this letter to us today, in this letter to all of us as individuals in this room, God is saying, I know. I know how you think, how you respond. I see the good that you're doing. I see how you've been generous. I've seen how you have been faithful, but nevertheless, basically move that over in spite of that. I have this against you. You have left your first love. You've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works. God's saying this to the church of Ephesus. God is saying this to LFC. God's saying this to all the churches all over this nation and all over this region. And he's saying this to every single person that in the sound of this voice here in this room or online. He said, I have this complaint against you. They were doing good. They were doing good. They had received 826 salvations. That's, that's this church today. 800. They, they were doing good. They were doing right. They were, they, were, they were hit firing on all cylinders. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me. And you don't love each other as he used to. Look how far you have fallen. So turn back to me. Turn back to me and do the works you first did. You see, Mark says it like this. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind. You have got to love God. Second Chronicles talks about this. If my people, if my LFC peeps who are called by my name, if you will humble yourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from uh, your wicked ways, then I'm gonna hear from heaven. Then I'm gonna forgive your sin. Then I'm going to heal your land. But you gotta love them. You see, they were, they were doing everything right. This church of Ephesus, they were doing everything right. But yet they were still wrong. They got caught up in the mechanics of it all. They got caught up in the ritual. They got caught up in the routine. And for somehow, some way it happened, it just became a robotic response instead of a response out of love and thanksgiving to God for his mercy and his grace. And what does he say to do? You're going to have to repent of this. You're going to have to repent of it. I'm supposed to be the top dog. He didn't say that. That was my words, but that's what it meant. I am supposed to be your priority. My word has got to be the priority in your life. Me. Not anything else. Not your hobbies, 
not your dreams, no, not your, your hopes, not your pursuits, not anybody else but me. I am the one. He's saying you're going to have to repent of it. How many know there's a big difference between repenting of something and saying, I'm sorry? Because I'm sorry is a verbal response, a verbal acknowledgement of, oops, I did it again. But there's never any change. You see, this word in here from turn from their wicked ways, when we look at it, especially in the Greek, it's a Greek word called metaneneo. It means to change your mind. To change your mind. To be absolutely appalled at your sins instead of playing with your sin. It means a turning with contrition to God. Turning away from those things that you did, those things that you know and the Holy Spirit is convicting you of and knowing that there's some sort of an addiction, there's some sort of of perversion, there's something that is there and the Holy Spirit convicts you in your heart. What he's trying to say is I'm trying to draw you to me instead of letting you die where you're at. I'm telling you this because I love you. So why won't you love me? I died for you, so why can't you die to yourself for me? Do you see it? Do you see it? We can get caught up in the routine of parking, and we can get caught up in the routine of welcome to LFC. We can get caught up in the routine of here's your 50,000 cup of donuts that you've had today. I know how many you ate today. We get caught up in it, but we forget to love Jesus. You see, loving Jesus is more than just singing the song we just sang. Jesus, I love you. Oh, I love you. It's more than that. It's making him priority number one in your life. Making his word priority in your life. And here's what he said. (laughs) If you don't repent, I'm going to come and I'm going to take your lampstand from you. In today's culture that we're living in, can you turn out the lights? Just give me an all blackout. Sorry, I caught him off guard. It's all right, Lord. You can remove our lampstand because I'll make my own. I'll let my phone think for me. I'll let my, this artificial intelligence tell me what to do, how to respond I'll let it give me a reminder of what I'm supposed to do, mechanics. Uh, Oh, it's going to remind me that, oh, it's time for me to read the word. Oh, friends, you can bring them up. (laughs) He's saying, unless you repent of this, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. If you don't repent, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand. But a commentary, man, this... uh, 
This will get you a commentary by, by the name of David Gusick. He says this, Jesus gave them a stern warning, right? He was writing a, he was writing a love letter saying, why don't you love me, right? And he said, unless they repent, what does that mean, their lampstand? He is going to remove their light and his presence from among them. When their lampstand, here's what's scary, friends. When their lampstand was removed, they could go on and continue as an organization, but his presence would not be there. How many churches and how many places today, when you walk into the building, there is a spirit of Ichabod over the house that declares the glory has departed. You started out good, but you ended up like this and you refuse to repent of it. Someone talk to me here today. I know this is heavy business, but I need some power lifters in the house to give me an amen. You see, God is telling the church of Ephesus, God is telling the church at Lima First, God is telling you as an individual, I know, I see what you're doing, I see the good that you're doing, I see that you're going out and you're loving people, but for whatever reason, why don't you love me like you used to? Because my word says, if you really love me, you'll obey my commands. See, people think that it's just a word. I can just tell Jesus. I can just sing the song. But it's more than that. If you love Jesus, you will obey his commands. And friends, his commands are not burdensome. You love him and he sets you free so you don't have to live in addiction and perversion any longer. He died so that you could be free. He died so that you and I might not face the penalty of hell and damnation. He died so that you don't have to live in misery anymore. He died so that you and I would love him. The psalmist said this, you'll show me the path of life for in your presence there is fullness of joy. Can I tell you at this church, his presence is our purpose. If we accomplish nothing else, as long as his presence is here, I'm okay with it. Because his presence is gonna be the one that draws you in. Can I tell you, it's okay, friends. It's okay to come to church expecting God to radically move and save and deliver people. It's okay. It's okay to open up God's word and read it every single day. It's okay. Does it make you a crazy train? Does it make you Ozzy Osbourne? Right? It's, it's okay. Can I tell you, it's okay to get on your face before God. What if someone will see me? Who stinking cares? 
It's a love relationship with God. It's okay to let your emotions and the tears stream from your face and repentance come. It's okay. It's okay to lift your hands in worship. It's all right. I don't care what you're from or what you're used to, but around here, it's a sign of surrender to God. God, I yield myself. I give myself to you. So I lift my hands in worship, oh God. It's okay to be like Daniel that got a little crazy and prayed three times a day even though the government told him not to. Well, they'll never do that. Are you kidding me? Tried it a couple years ago and they'll try it again because that was a dry run, friends. You see, when the presence of God is gone, There'll be no joy. There'll be no peace. There'll be no fruit. There will be no more salvations. I'm telling you right now, there may be false conversions, but there'll be no more blessing. The only thing that's going to remain is dead, dry religion that can offer nothing to anyone. And I don't know about you, but I cannot afford to go one second without the presence of God in my life and over my family and over our ministry and over our church and over your lives. I can't afford to do anything that would hinder that relationship. And so I fix my eyes upon him. I line myself up with his words. I come out, come on, I come out of agreement. I will no longer accept perversion. I will no longer accept addiction. If something's got a hold of me, I'm gonna fast it out. I'm getting rid of it, I'm done. Let's get away from those things because we cannot afford not to be in love with Jesus. Thank you so much for tuning in to the message. If you desire to grow deeper in your faith, we want to help you. Text the word GROW to 419-495-6802. You can also stay up to date on everything coming up by checking out limafirst.church and hitting the events tab. Lastly, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future LFC content. We'll see you next time.